that book. But tonight we want to go through Isaiah chapter 25 and go into chapter 26 as Lord. We thank you that we're here once again. And I thank you that, um, that people are, are, who have been sick for a while are starting to get better. I know there's still a number of people that are sick and kids and just been a difficult flu and cold season. And uh, Lord, as we head into March and heading towards spring, I pray that uh, health would come to everyone. And we look forward to a new season coming. Um, and perhaps there are those that are here tonight that they have a season in spiritually of coldness and, and um, darkness or whatever the case may be, a kind of a winter type uh, uh, feeling right now. That Lord, that they would know that you desire to bring warmth to them, that you desire to bring light to us and truth. And Father, that spring is just right around the corner. That as we continue to look to you and, Lord, trust in you and set our minds on you, that you want to do a wonderful work in us and bring comfort to us and strength and encouragement. I pray that you would do that even tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So the book of Isaiah, really incredible book, going through it, we see that Isaiah, of course, in, in these visions that he's given to us, now I want you to keep in mind that as he gives near fulfillments that would be fulfilled by uh, the Assyrians coming in as he pronounced judgment that would come to the house of Israel and also to Judah as well by the Babylonians about 120 years after the Assyrians took away captive the 10 northern tribes. But everything that Isaiah said in the near fulfillments uh, would come to pass. And you need to keep that in mind because Isaiah in the Old Testament is a, a book, a, a prophetic book that speaks more of the ministry of Messiah and prophecy of Messiah concerning his first coming. You recall in chapter 7 that it was Isaiah that said to Ahaz that Ahaz, God's going to give you a sign that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we know that that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ as even Matthew borrows that from Isaiah as uh, we have the record of the angel coming to uh, Joseph and say, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife for that which is born in her or conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she's going to bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And of course, uh, it is in Luke's gospel that uh, once again, that is fulfilled that uh, the, the prophet Isaiah is saying, Emmanuel is among us. So he spoke of Jesus' first coming, his birth, and, and also chapter 9, as we saw of Isaiah, that um, a son is given, a child is born. We know that in the suffering Messiah context given to us in Isaiah chapters 51 and 52 and 53 particularly, speaking of the suffering Messiah that would come on the scene. So it really is an incredible book speaking of Jesus' first coming, and every one of those prophecies were fulfilled, weren't they? We can say that with certainty. And the reason that I'm bringing that up is because Isaiah spends even more time talking in prophecy concerning Jesus' second coming. And there are those who will come to you and to me, and they will say, well, you know, that what we're talking about as we entered into chapter 24 is the tribulation period, that final seven-year period right before the second coming of Jesus Christ when he will come back, literally, physically. He was touched down on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives will split in half, according to Zechariah. But at that time, he's going to establish his kingdom and he's going to restore the nation of, of Israel. And as we see all these prophecies concerning uh, Jesus' second coming and the events that point to it and, and to the soon return of Jesus Christ, we know that those prophecies are going to be fulfilled literally as well. And there are those who will come along and say, well, it's just spiritual. It's just an allegory. It's, it's just poetic language. Uh, it's really not going to happen. Well, Isaiah presents a problem for those who hold that view. If Isaiah gives prophecy concerning Jesus' first coming that was fulfilled literally, don't you think that the prophecies concerning Jesus' second coming is going to be fulfilled literally as well? Of course it is. So keep in mind that as 
as we started the book of Isaiah, that Isaiah given these visions here, and he said these things will come to pass, Isaiah told by the Lord, and, and they are going to come to pass. So in chapter 24, we see that chapters 24 and 25 and 26 deal with that period of time that's called the tribulation period, and it's going to be a time of great tribulation where God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world, and in that time, we know that it's going to affect everyone, just uh, as we saw in the chapter. And the reason that God is uh, bringing that judgment on a Christ-rejected world, as, as Isaiah says, because they have transgressed the laws, they've changed the ordinance, they've broken the everlasting covenant. There's this rebellion against God that eventually is going to be dealt with that will bring to then the culmination of Jesus establishing his kingdom here on the earth, of course, as we know, for a thousand years, according to Revelation chapter 20. And as we've looked at this, Isaiah is, is talking about how in the tribulation period, therefore glorify the Lord in a dawning light and we know that there's going to be, they shall lift their voice and they shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. In the tribulation period, even though I believe that we, the church, are going to be raptured, taken away, uh, and meet the Lord in the air before the tribulation period starts, that there are going to be those who are going to be saved in the tribulation period. And in that time, as Isaiah is writing about, that we know that uh, the earth is going to be shaken. There's going to be great geologic upheaval and cosmic disturbances, even as Revelation chapter 6 declares to us. So these things are literally going to happen. They are going to take place. So chapter 25, going into chapter 26, is still speaking of that time of the tribulation period that leads to the reign of Christ. Let's begin to look at that. In chapter 25, we read, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of Old are faithfulness and truth. So in the previous chapter, of course, speaking of God's judgment on the earth, this chapter speaks of praising God. And we see this and you think, well, it seems kind of out of place. Why would this be speaking of praising God in, in a period that's going to lead to great tribulation? Jesus said that it's going to be great tribulation such as the world has never seen or will ever see again. And the reason that there's the praising of God and worshiping of the Lord is because that his kingdom is going to be established. It's kind of like when I think about it, Revelation chapter 10, John was told to take that scroll. We don't know what was on that scroll, but he was told to eat it. And in that scroll that he ate, it was sweet to his mouth and bitter to his stomach. And we know that as we look at the prophecies of Scripture, it can be sweet in that we know that Jesus is coming back. And I don't know about you, but that excites me. And I think as a Christian, we should be excited about the return of the Lord. But we also know as he will establish his kingdom and we're going to rule and reign with him, that there's going to be that judgment that will come. And so that's very sobering, isn't it? We, we think, Lord, are we close to, you know, that time? Could it really be any day the rapture of the church? We don't know the day or the hour. But I do believe that the Lord could come for us at any time. They were rushing towards that time where the Lord's going to take us home. And we're to be watching. We're to be waiting. We're to occupy till he comes. But the commandment given to us to be the wise and faithful servant that's looking for the master's return. I want you guys to always remember that's a commandment of the Lord. It's not a suggestion. And that's the heart of the Lord towards us to be looking every day for his return to live in that way that, Lord, maybe perhaps, don't know, but maybe even today you could come back for us. And tomorrow isn't promised to any of us anyway. And as John in his epistle writes, that when we see him, we will be like him. And when we see him, that it has a purifying effect on us. In other words, when the Lord comes back, that as we are coming in, in, in our living every day in expectancy of his coming, then it has a purifying effect on us, doesn't it?
So we're to keep our hearts and our minds on him. We're to continue to be the wise and faithful servant. That means you keep serving him. We're to continue to give the gospel. Uh, I sense the urgency of doing that uh, now, you know, more than ever, because I do believe that the Lord can come for us at any time. We see the birth pains. We, we've talked about all these things, and we'll continue to do that, that point to the soon return of Jesus Christ, but he is going to come back. And notice here that there's this praising. We praise that. We look forward to that. Your counsels are of uh, old, our faithfulness and truth. He's going to be faithful to bring to pass these things that he said is going to happen. And we know that his promises are true for you and for me. But it also is very sobering because there are people that we care about and that we love and we work alongside of and live next to and are part of our family that they don't know the Lord. And so I want to encourage you, you keep praying for them. Praying in this day of grace that they'll come to know Jesus Christ and, and don't stop praying and loving them and giving truth in love and presenting the gospel to them as you have opportunity. Because these things are going to come to pass. And his promises are true for you and for me because this tribulation period is going to come. But I want to encourage you for today because perhaps some of you come into this place that you have tribulation little t going on in your life. And I want you to know that, that his word is true for you and his promises are true and you can stand on those promises and he's going to be faithful to bring those promises to pass for you. And you go to him for counsel. It's so wonderful to have the Word of God, isn't it, folks? Because there's so many voices that are out there in the world trying to give us counsel. And, you know, the fads of the world, the philosophy of the world. And we have the Word of God given to us. And we know that this is true for us every day, whatever it is that we face. So we can count on that and we can praise the Lord for that. But as we continue on, we read in verse 2, For you have made a city a, a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be built. And therefore the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you. So the, the strong cities that defile will be brought down. And, and I can't wait till God comes and reigns. And in the meantime, we're to, to give the gospel, be light and salt in this world in which we live in. But this world, listen, always remember, and particularly I want young people to understand this, this world is not your hope. We are in the world. And there's nothing wrong with having goals and working hard, and, and we should work hard. There's nothing wrong with doing our best and, and moving forward in life and whatever God has called you to do and given you opportunity to do. But keep him the priority, all right? Because this world is not your hope. And this world is going to come to an end, and Jesus is going to establish his kingdom. And, and it's going to be wonderful when he does. In verse 4, For we have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in this distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat, from the blast of the terrible one, ones is as a storm against the wall. In verse 5, you will reduce the noise of aliens, a heat in a dry place, a heat in the shadow of a cloud. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished. So no matter how strong the enemy seems to be or coming against us or the world, God is stronger. Always keep that in mind. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And God's strength, he's the one that can make the strong, you know, uh, come, you know, make the poor strong, and he gives strength to the needy as well. We know that he's a refuge from the storm. I believe it's in the book of Psalms that there's 16 times that David refers to the Lord as his refuge. And even on Sundays, we're going through the book of Hebrews as we finish chapter 6, that is be mentioned to us that Jesus, he's our refuge. And, and the Old Testament reader, the initial reader of the book of Hebrews, they would think back to the Old Testament law because they were so familiar with it. And in Israel, when they came into the promised land, according to the book of Numbers, they were established these cities called the cities of refuge. And, and if uh, for something happened that an accident and you're 
for example, out in the field and you're swinging an axe and the head comes off and hits somebody and, and accidentally kills them or hurts them very badly. Uh, they didn't have a police force back then. And so there would be what was called the, the avenger of blood. And people would take the law into their own hands. And so you could, God established, it's kind of interesting how this was done, to where you could go to the city of refuge. And if you went to the city of refuge, and of course the judges there would question you, and if you were found that it was an accident or didn't mean to, that you could stay in that city of refuge and be safe. Listen, Jesus is our refuge. And he's the one that will, you know, keep us safe in this world that we are in. And he is the one that is a refuge from the storm, a a shade from the heat. And he will quiet the song of the terrible ones. And that's what our Lord does for us. In verse 6, and in this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees of fat things full of marrow and well-refined wines on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast for over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. And he will swallow up death forever and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. I like verse 6 and what verses 7 and 8 uh, gives us the promise of when the Lord returns. When the Lord returns, uh, verse 6, I believe, is a reference to the marriage feast of the Lamb. According to Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, as we're getting ready to come back with the Lord, because that's our future, you see, the rapture of the church is when he comes for the church. The second coming of Jesus Christ recorded for us in Revelation chapter 19 is when he comes back with the church. And there we're going to be in Revelation chapter 19. I'll I'll read it to you. It's, It's so wonderful that as we are getting ready to come back with the Lord, there's this rejoicing, just as we're seeing in this chapter. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. We're going to have dinner with the Lord. And it seems to me to indicate that as we talk about the marriage feast of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb, that when we come back with him, that we're going to have supper together. Isn't that going to be a glorious feast? Talk about a great potluck. It's going to be greater than any potluck we can put on. But we're going to have dinner with the Lord. And you might recall that Jesus said to his disciples in that upper room when instituting communion, he said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So it seems to indicate to us as we look at it that when we come back with the Lord, we're going to be entering into that, that marriage feast of the lamb and it's going to just be so wonderful but also we know that as we see in verses seven and eight that it's speaking about how he's going to wipe away our tears and what a precious promise that it is isn't it no more tears and maybe tonight that you're here and you've been shedding some tears because of the difficulties that you're going through or maybe the loss that you've experienced or maybe the discouragement or hopelessness that you feel. And I want you to know that in the book of Psalms that it tells us that he takes all of our tears and he holds them in a bottle. He remembers your tears and they're very precious to the Lord. And he sees you. And the day is going to come when he's going to wipe away all our tears. No more tribulations, no more loss. No more hurt and pain that we go through. And it's such a precious, wonderful promise that the Lord has given to us. And he says here in in verse 8 that death is swallowed up. Does that remind you of anything? Paul the Apostle, when he's writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's writing about the resurrection. And in that, uh, he continues to encourage them in 1 Corinthians 15. And and Paul borrows this verse here from chapter 25, verse 8. And 
he goes on, he says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Death has a sting, doesn't it? And even though we can rejoice when a saint goes home to be with the Lord, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. There's still a sting that is there. And I think that's why Jesus, when even before he was to, to cry out, Lazarus, come forth there in John chapter 11, that the shortest verse of the Bible is what? In John chapter 11, that Jesus wept. And I think, why did Jesus weep? I mean, he's about ready to raise Lazarus from the dead in this incredible you know, miracle that's going to take place. I think Jesus wept because just the whole idea of death, it's almost like it wasn't supposed to be this way. There's a sting that is there. And many of you have felt that in the loss of a loved one. But we also know that death is swallowed up because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And we have the promise of the resurrection given to us because Jesus rose from the grave, we're going to rise up. And we're going to be with him. And we're going to be with him for all eternity. So that's why Paul, at the end of that chapter, he says, Oh, death, where is thy sting? And death is swallowed up in victory because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Hang on to that. And know that we have such a wonderful, wonderful future ahead for us to where no more tears, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death. That's what Jesus is bringing to us. In verse 9, And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. And this is the Lord. We have waited for him, and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Our testimony is going to be when Jesus Christ comes back that, behold, this is our Lord. There he is. This is our Lord. Remember, we were talking in our study of Hebrews, and we've talked about this before, I believe, going through Luke's gospel as we were finishing that up last fall, that Jesus says, I now call you friends. And in Hebrews, he's not ashamed to call us his brethren. And sometimes... You know, we can go through a season or sometimes Christians can be a little bit, I don't know if I want to tell people that I believe in Jesus and almost like they're ashamed to say that. And I think, why? It really doesn't make sense. When we think about what Jesus Christ has done for us, the sufferings that he went through in ways that we can't fully understand because of his love for you and because he was thinking about you, and he loves you, and he took your sins upon himself, and he tasted death for every single one of us. And he rose from the grave, and now we have the hope of heaven. We're forgiven. Why would we ever be ashamed of him? And he's not ashamed of us. Now, I, I think about that, and I think, boy, there have been days and there's been moments, Lord, that you probably were ashamed of me. And, you know, my attitudes or what I said or my actions or whatever it may be. But he's not ashamed of us. Why would we be ashamed of him? And when he comes back, he's going to be sitting upon the throne. And he's going to rule and reign. And it's going to be none other. And we're going to say, there he is, our Lord. Look what he's done for us. He wipes away our tears and death is swallowed up. And it's going to be so glorious. It's going to be so wonderful. It's not going to be Confucius. It's not going to be Muhammad. It's, it's not going to be Buddha. It's not going to be any spiritual leader that somebody may claim to be. It's not going to be any famous leader. It is Jesus Christ who is Lord. That his name is exalted above all other names. So we're going to see him. Behold, this is our Lord. Second of all, we have waited for him. I don't know about you, but I'm waiting for him. And I hope and pray for this church, Calvary Chapel, that we are a church that we are waiting for him. Don't ever be embarrassed by that. Don't ever back away from that. Because there can be attitudes in some circles of Christianity. Ah, the coming of the Lord's not important. We shouldn't be talking about it. Well, the Bible talks a whole lot about it. About a third of the Bible talks about it. And the Lord has given to us, you know, all that... that 
the information that's going to lead to his return and when he comes back and when he establishes his kingdom to encourage us, to bless us. So we are to be ones that are to be waiting for him, even as I started out the teaching by saying that that's a commandment of Jesus, that we're to be the wise and faithful servant that's looking for the master's return because I come at a time that you do not know. So be waiting for him, continue to, to look for him, continue to occupy till he comes, and then thirdly, he will save us. He brings hope, he brings salvation, and then fourthly, we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That's what's going to be said in that day. And what a day that's going to be, isn't it? It's going to be glorious. And as we finish the chapter, verse 10, for on this mountain the hand of the Lord will rest, and Moab shall be trampled down under him. As straw is trampled down for the refuge heap, and he will spread out his hands in their midst as a swimmer reaches out to swim, and he will bring down their pride together with the trickery of their hands, the fortress of the high fort of your walls. He will bring down, lay low, and bring to the ground, down to the dust. So verses 10 through 12, Moab is representing the world, the, 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 the nations of the world that have come against God. And they will be trampled underfoot. He's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. That's what's said about Messiah in Psalm chapter 2. And he's going to bring the prideful and the wicked down. Is it an interesting that the Bible, as we've been going through it, and particularly as we went through Proverbs, and, and we're going through the, the prophets now, uh, the books of the prophets, and even as Isaiah has dealt with, that the prideful is going to be brought down. Pride is such a terrible sin. And we know from Isaiah chapter 14 that pride is what caused Lucifer to fall and become Satan, you know, the devil. He said, I will sit on the throne. I want to be worshipped. I'm going to be like the Most High. And he would fall because of his pride. And even as we see that the Lord said, I'm going to deal with the nations and their pride. But here's the thing. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. The book of Proverbs talks a whole lot about those who are prideful, that the end result is not going to be good. We need to humble ourselves always, every single day. And pride is something that can creep into our lives, our spiritual lives, very, very easily. So we're to constantly and continually be saying, Lord, am I being prideful in any way? Lord, help me be humbled. And we know that's the way of the Lord, to humble ourselves. We are to die to self, pick up our cross, and follow after him. Well, as we move into chapter 26, the song of salvation continues. For in that day, the song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. And open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. As we look at chapter 26, the context of the previous two chapters, again, the reign of Jesus, the, the Messiah, the kingdom age, he's on the throne. And Isaiah is talking about the strength and the safety and the glory of the city. Uh, I, I think today how we don't really have safety, do we? I mean, we lock our doors at night. I remember somebody called me on the radio and they you know, just kind of wanted to kind of strike up this, this argument about how, how man is inherently good. We're all good. And I just asked them a question. Let me ask you something. Do you lock your doors at night? And if man is so inherently good, why do you lock your doors at night? We spend a lot of time in, in safety and security, whether it's your home personally, whether it's a business, whether it's the church here, schools do because of the world in which we live in. And it's going to be wonderful when the Lord comes back that all that's going to go away. He's our safety. And he's the one that, that is going to, again, as he rules and reigns, he's going to be the one that uh, will bring that safety and, and keep truth, may enter into it. And verse 3, I, I love this. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. When we focus and worship the Lord, when we trust him, then we will have the peace of God. And I like what here is, is written here, that you will keep him in perfect peace. Do you realize that the Hebrew here is shalom, shalom? Shalom, shalom. Shalom means peace. And whenever something is repeated, it's, it declares intensity. 
It's not just a little piece. It's not just some peace. That the Lord desires to bring us perfect peace. That ultimately is going to come when he comes and rules and reigns, but he does want to bring you peace. And he really is our only peace. And the way for you to have peace, this is very important for me to understand for you as well. What's the key? Whose mind is stayed on you and the one who trusts in you. I can get my mind on so many things, on the troubles that I face, the challenges that are before me. I can get my mind on problems and difficulties and schedules and what needs to happen. There are a lot of things that come into our mind that can cast us down and discourage us and make us tired. But the Lord says that you keep your mind on me. Keep your mind stayed on me continually. Has the meaning of take hold of, to, to bear up, to stand fast, to sustain. We are not to lean on our own understanding, but upon him. And as we just keep our mind on him every single day and continually and constantly. I like what we're singing. Lord, every day I need you. I, I love that song, every hour I need you. There are days every minute I need you. Keep your mind on the Lord. And that's why Paul talks about in the New Testament about renewing your mind a whole lot with the word of God. To keep your mind on him and trust in him and what he declares to you and to me. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that peace that comes into your life and into your heart and into your day. And I don't know about you, but I need that peace. And I'm looking for that peace every moment and every day. And Lord, I know it's because I'm going to look to you. You're going to come back. You're going to establish your kingdom. You've saved me. I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. You are faithful and true, Lord. And as I just continually remind myself of those things, then peace begins to come into my heart because I can get upset very easily. I can get anxious just like anybody else. I can begin to fret and worry and all of this. And it takes my peace away. And I know the only way that I can get it back is to focus back on the Lord and begin to just trust in what he says and to stand on his promises and enter into that rest that he has for you and for me. But we read in verse 4, Trust in the Lord forever, uh, for the Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. Uh, there in verse 4, it, that everlasting strength, it can be translated the rock of ages. Everything's going to be shaken up. Chapter 24, the earth is going to shake Literally, all of it is going to be a great cosmic disturbance in the last days. But even today, as you go through your tribulation, small t, your life can be shaken. And what we are to do is build our life upon Jesus. Remember what he said as he finished the Sermon on the Mount? That he said that you be the wise man that hears these sayings of mine and, and does them is like the one who builds a house upon a firm foundation, upon the rock. So when the storms come and the rains beat against the house and the wind blows against the house, that house is able to stand. Don't be like the fool who built upon the sand. And when the storms came, that the rain and the winds caused a great fall of that house. That's the one who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. Walk after the Lord. Trust him. Look to him. Build your life upon him. So I want to ask all of us a question. What are you building upon? The rock of ages, Jesus Christ, the solid rock? Or are you building upon the sand? Because we all know that storms will come into our lives, every single one of us. You might be in one right now, even tonight. But it's important that each and every day that we're building our lives upon Jesus Christ, upon the solid foundation. He's the rock of ages that we trust in and look to, the everlasting strength. And then in verse 5, for he brings down those who dwell on high, the lofty city. He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. Uh, the proud and the arrogant, once again, being told that they're going to be brought down. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, 
that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But I also want to remind us what Jesus said in chapter 20 of Matthew. You remember that how the disciples were arguing all the time who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit on the left, who's going to sit on the right. And Jesus was answering them about greatness. And he would say to them, uh, as he would say, that Jesus called them to himself. This is Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 25. That you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen, you want to be great in the kingdom? I think all of us want to be great in the kingdom. It's not by lording over others. Jesus said that's Gentile stuff. That's the way of the Gentiles. But you are to humble yourself and to serve others. Now, there is that case where maybe that we're a supervisor, a boss, we own a business. Uh, maybe we have authority that we have uh, in some way. That even as we have that authority, that we're still to be humble before the Lord to know that we have a master in heaven, that we have a Lord. And that we can be a blessing to others in that humility. Not in being prideful and arrogant and ruling with a heavy hand, but Lord, give me more of a servant's heart. Because Jesus said that I came not to be served, but be the servant of all and give my life as a ransom to many. And to really understand to be great in the kingdom is to have that servant's heart of serving others. And whether that's husbands, you're serving your wives, and loving her as Christ loves the church. And as we think about how is it that Jesus loved the church, he laid down his life for the church, he, he served the church, he cherished the church. And as we love our wives, that means husbands, oh, you have authority, you're the head of the, the wife. But what does that look like and what does that mean for you and for me? It means that you're a servant. And you serve her, and you cherish her, and you love her unconditionally. Because that's the way of Jesus. And any of us that, that have relationships with others, and that's all of us, you have a servant's heart. And you are great in the kingdom as you do that. You know, the world's going to teach us that you're the Lord over others, and, you know, be dominating and, and live for yourself and all of this. Jesus says we live for others. And we esteem others better than ourselves, looking out not only for our own interests, but for the interests of others. That's the way of humility. That's Philippians chapter 2. And then it's told to us in Philippians chapter 2, the greatest example of that, and that is Jesus, who humbled himself and became a man, obedient to death, the death on the cross. That he humbled himself and gave his life for us. You know, I really believe that as you read Philippians chapter 2, as you read about that, do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of my meekness that we just talked about, that you esteem others better than yourself, and looking out not only for your own interests, but for the interests of others. I think if we all lived that way, would you just think how wonderful it would be in our relationships with others, in relationships in the church and in families? But yet that can be so ignored because we are taught and bombarded that you look out for your own interests. And it doesn't mean that you don't have interests. He said, look out for the interests of others as well. But be humble around others. Don't be prideful. Because we know that God, he hates pride and he has, hates arrogance. And it is sinful before his eyes. And, and so it's something that we're being reminded of as we, we go through this text. But let's continue on in verse 7 the way of the justice uprightness and almost upright you weigh the uh, the path of the just yes in the way of your judgments O Lord we have waited for you the desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you and my, with my soul I have desired you in the night yes by my spirit within me I will seek you early for when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. I pray that all of us 
would have a desire for the Lord, that we would desire for his kingdom to be established. And here with my soul, I have desired you. So can I ask us another question? What is it that you desire tonight, really, honestly? Is it carnal things? Is it worldly things? Is to be number one and Lord over others? What is your desire? Is our desire the Lord? And I think that as we desire him, and I love this, that my soul have desired you in the night. When you go home tonight and you go to bed, what is your desire? And yes, my spirit within me, I will seek you early. When you get up, what's your desire for today? And the one who desires the Lord and desires to please him with your life, I'll tell you this, that is the one that's going to sense the presence of the Lord. And I think that's a sign of a mature Christian. And as a church, we desire him. It's a sign of a mature um, church as well. So here we, we desire him. We desire righteousness. People today don't want to know righteousness, but it's going to come in the kingdom age. Verse 9, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Uh, Isaiah says in another place that righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. Verse 10, let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they will see and be ashamed. For their, their envy of people, yes, the fire of your enemy shall devour them. So this is the day of grace, and we want to give God's uh, gospel to people to receive him. The, the wicked are ungrateful to God's goodness. God has been good. He's been so good to us. And we want to learn righteousness. But there's going to be a day where he's going to judge the unrepentant heart, the one who doesn't desire that and doesn't trust in the Lord. In verse 12, the Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all our works in us. So God has done the work for us. Remember, he cried out, it is finished on the cross. And he's doing a work in us. And being confident of this very thing in the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he has begun a good work in you, will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. And I've said this before, but I hope it ministers to somebody here tonight that that verse brings me such comfort knowing that he will finish that work that he's begun in me. And I can just trust in him and rest in him and he's going to do that and as Philippians chapter 2 verse 10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should dwell in them you are his workmanship poem in the Greek which means you are his poem you're his masterpiece you I look in the mirror and I think me a masterpiece but that's how valuable you are to the Lord. And he has established that work that he wants to do in you before the foundations of the world. You know, that's going to be our theme for VBS. I think I mentioned it to you before. We're going to start having meetings for VBS for when we do the outreach out in the park. I can't wait. I'm already excited for June. And I'm excited for the theme that we have, Ephesians chapter 2, th three days that Jesus created you. Day two, that he loves you. And day three, he has a wonderful plan for you. Don't you think that's important for our kids to be established in? Because they're being told completely different things in the world. And we have truth to give to them that God created you. You weren't a product of evolutionary processes. God created you. He needs, made you. He wonderfully made you. You're no mistake and we hear a lot today about identity and identifying, you know, as, as this and this gender and, you know, this sexual, you know, identity and all of this. Listen, you as a Christian, your identity is in Christ. You identify with him. And he created you and he loves you. And he proved that love by going to the cross to save you and forgive you, for you to have the hope of heaven. And then he has a wonderful plan for you. 
I think that's such an important lesson, not only for us as adults to learn and and give that truth to others, but for our kids to be established in because they are going to be lied to and told differently. That Jesus has a wonderful plan for you that he's established and he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think as we just turn to him and look to him. So I can't wait to give that message to the kids as we prepare for that and be praying for that as we get ready for VBS. But let's, let's try to finish the chapter. Oh, Lord, our God, masters beside you, verse 13, have had dominion over us, but by you only we make mention of your name. When we repent and call upon Jesus, we put worldliness and, and any idolatry away and we rejoice in the Lord because he's the one that's made us alive. We put away the false gods and we've come to the true and the living God and they are dead. They will not live, those false gods. They are deceased, verse 14. They will not rise. Therefore you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. For you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. Now keep in mind that Judah in Israel has been rebuked by the Lord because of their idol worship and going after those false gods. So this call to return, those idols are nothing. They're going to be destroyed. They are dead. They have no power. Jesus is the one that's alive. And in verse 15, as we look at it, God is is the one that is going to bless them, increase their borders. You, You know, when he comes back, He's going to bring them back. And we are to, 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 uh, to know that you have expanded all the borders of the land and, and what a, a wonderful day that's going to be when their eyes, the, the nation, God's people, as we know that he's going to restore the nation of Israel and that in that day that as Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, that they shall be saved. That when they will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They recognize that Jesus is their Mashiach. And we talked about that. We'll continue to talk about the, the tribulation period that at the end that the Jews' eyes are going to be opened up and they're going to realize, even as Zacharias says, where did you get those wounds in your hands? I got them in the house of my friends. And they will weep and they will mourn. And it's such a wonderful prophecy that's given that their eyes being opened up, that that we'll be looking at more closely as we continue through Isaiah. But in verse 16, the Lord in trouble, they have visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them as a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs when she draws near the time of her delivery. So have we been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. So here the nation would go through such difficult times and will go through difficult times. It's like a woman in labor pain. And here going through the difficult times, they brought forth nothing but wind. They brought forth nothing but emptiness. And there are those who work really hard to, to bring peace and solve problems in the world, to bring a utopia in the world. Listen, things are not going to be right and peace is not going to be established till the Prince of Peace comes back and the one who is righteousness comes back. I I applaud all those efforts. Of course we work on the problems. But it's not going to be right until Jesus Christ comes back. And then in verse 19, your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead. If anybody asks you, you know, does the Old Testament speak of the resurrection? Point him to this verse. It's speaking of the resurrection. Amazing. The resurrection, that the dead shall live together with my dead body, they shall arise. I can't wait to get that new heavenly body. It's going to be glorious. No more sickness. A lot of us have been sick, right? Isn't that going to be great when we're just done with all that? 
and we're healthy and our bodies are going to last forever. That's, that's the resurrection, new heavenly bodies. And then verses 20 and 21, talking about the resurrection, and then I believe is linked to verses 20 and 21. Come, my people, enter your chambers, shut your doors behind you, hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. Listen, as we finish this chapter here, that here is, I believe, there's, there's two takes on verses 20 and 21. Come, my people, enter your chambers, shut the door behind you, hide yourself, as it were, until the indignation is past to punish the inhabitants of the earth for her iniquity. Scholarship believed that perhaps that this is speaking of the rapture of the church. That he will take us up to heaven and then we're going to hide. We'll be away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Revelation chapter 3, the promise to the church of Philadelphia. Isaiah is speaking about that. I think it very well could be. Others said that it's speaking about when the Jews, halfway through the tribulation period, when the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple, proclaims himself as God, the Jews will reject him. That we've already seen the prophecies in chapter 16, chapter 16 of Isaiah, that, that tells us that um, they will be fleeing to the rock city of Petra, send the lamb of the ruler to the land from Shelah, Petra to the wilderness, and let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. That's where Petra is, to be a shelter from the face of the spoiler that's speaking of the Antichrist. So some say, speaking of the remnant of Jews, that will escape there in Israel. They will go to the rock city of Petra, and they will be safe and hide there until the tribulation period is over. So which one is it, pastor? Is the rapture of the church or when the Jews escape to Petra? I think it could be both. And we are going to be taken out of and away from the hour of tribulation. And the Lord's going to come for us, and it can be at any time. So... Be waiting for him, be looking for him, and in the meantime, be light and truth to others. So, Father, we thank you for these two chapters. It's so glorious to know that these things will come to pass. They are our future. And, Lord, may it bring that, that perfect peace, shalom, shalom, to us as we keep our minds on you and as we trust you. We trust you, Lord, that, that these things are true for us. And Father, I do pray for maybe tonight those who are here that maybe that tribulation has come into their life and their situation and they're troubled, you're anxious. We can all get that way. That we would set our minds and our hearts on you and it would stay on you. Stand fast. Just stand fast. Hold on to you, Lord and the trust and rest in your promises. Father, we don't want to get sluggish. and We don't want to get lazy in the day that we're in. But Lord, may we just continue to keep our eyes on you, desiring to please you, to be your servants humbled before you. And the Lord know that in being confident of this very thing that he who's begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. We have the privilege to bring light and truth to the people around us. Lord, I do pray for healing for those who are sick, maybe joining us on live stream and you've been sick and we pray that God would touch you and bring healing to you and to your children. And Lord, I just pray for those who, Lord, are perhaps just maybe feeling a little bit of winter spiritually that I want to encourage you that spring is coming. The Lord desires to draw you to himself, to warm you, to refresh you in every way. Just keep looking to him. And may we all, Lord, be ones that we desire you when we go to bed at night and when we seek you early. Even as Proverbs says, those who seek you early shall find you. And Lord, you're there. 
desiring to fellowship, have that closeness with us. To keep us in that place of safety in you because you're our refuge. In that place of joy and peace that only comes from you. Lord, we thank you for tonight. Take everyone home safely. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good.